Like Series 5 of Torchwood, Series 6 wasn't on television, instead it was on audio, a 12 episode series of audio dramas set after the four television series. Like Series 5, the creator of televised Torchwood, Russell T Davies, had some input and direction on the series, and where Series 5 Aliens Among Us had an involved series-long arc and plot, examining an alien population that had relocated to Cardiff, as well as exploring identity issues with a new Torchwood team, Series 6, called God Among Us, was full of more episodic, more self-contained adventures. And even more so than Series 5, its cover images really do indicate quite a lot about the stories. So before we get into spoilery discussion of the episodes, what were all our general thoughts on God Among Us? Well, um, I'm the one who it's the newest. Well, actually, yeah, yeah, because I, I just finished it today, actually, so it's quite new to me. Um, I would say it's more satisfying on the whole than Series 5, purely by dint of having an actual ending and you know, an actual sort of story to it. Um, I think it still, it still seems to represent this version of Torchwood still... Um, trying to find its niche i think it still seems to me kind of stuck trying to trying to work out what the best format for it is and trying to negotiate the the balance of standalone stories with arc stuff and maybe not quite sticking the landing in my opinion um but it does have um some it, i would say it has one episode in particular that's an absolute like classic and some other ones that um stick out maybe more than um than the majority of series five did so i'll say better on the whole but um i would say there's still much much room for improvement i really enjoyed series six probably more than series five sorry mm. aliens among us uh and i feel like i probably enjoyed it more because it felt more character focused in a way yeah. um and also, it's like they said that Russell T Davies requested that it be more episodic, and you can feel it. And I enjoy it because it feels more like the series one and series two format. Like it still deals with an overall, like overarching storyline, but for the most part, it's like there's a lot of self-contained stories, and the stories sort of focus on the characters and the dynamics. And because we've had series five that sort of sort of establishes Torchwood, this new Torchwood. Series 6 has this like, breathing space to then develop the characters because that was the sort of criticism I had of Series 5 um, where because they were just trying to put all these pieces into place there wasn't much uh, space for them to actually explore each character individually but I feel like Series 6 started to do that and certainly if they continue like this I am very very excited for Series 7. It kind of reminded me of the monthly audios in that we've got a few yeah. here where we don't have all the team, we're just focusing on like two or three or even one of the team's characters and then it's like a smaller scale story that's more focused on like an individual idea, like there's the YouTuber episode and there's the episode with just two characters looking at urban legends, there's the body swap episode, like I can't imagine a body swap episode in series three or series four or series five, it's too much yeah. of like a self-contained episodic little thing but like you say it would fit perfectly in a series one and two and I was so glad the audios went back to like that kind of series one and two approach. So much more focused on the characters and just more fun and more interesting episode to episode. What did you think, Sam? I liked it. I liked it a lot more than series five. And I think that kind of in retrospect, it makes series five a bit better. You kind of see where they were going with stuff. I don't think that the plot they wanted to do really needed like two seasons. Because like, in a lot of ways, like, uh, 
the ending of God Among Us, uh, no spoilers at this point, but feels kind of like the actual start of like the range going forward and like the stories they want to tell. And you kind of feel like you have listened to like two whole seasons of prelude to that, which is a bit long, especially given the fact that you have to cash in like 20 bucks for each set. Uh, which is like uh, six sets, so, you know, you're well over 100 at this point. But I did enjoy it. I think it does a lot of really, really interesting things and goes in depth into some aspects of Tortrude that weren't exploited enough by the show and does some really interesting things with it. And some of the individual episodes are absolutely fantastic. There's, like, at least, yeah, at least two or three that I that are like some of my favorite stuff that Big Finish has done the previous few years. There's some really good stuff in this. Even if it's still a bit uneven and if the and with an arc planning uh, that as was just said before, uh, could still use some uh, some improvement. Uh, I'll start going into spoilers now. Uh, is one of these great stories we're talking about hostile environment? Yes, I think I think you know it is. I actually wasn't thinking of that one, but uh, Oh, okay. Uh yeah, yeah, my 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 two favorite babies were um, a mother's son and Nightwatch, mm. which were the two that I thought were absolutely amazing. I did like uh, hostile environment a lot. It's very good. It's not quite my absolute favorite. I think it it has some muddled metaphors in places and has some things I'm not too sure about but it's it's also very good and i like just how intense and dark it is and it's it's a very difficult story to listen to in good ways i think that does bring me on to tyler (laughs) because i fucking love tyler i think he's great i think they're very mean to him they they treat tyler very badly in the aliens among us premiere he he like did a he screwed up that faint when he like said Oh, yeah. okay, shoot the civilians or whatever, and the Sorvigs actually did. But that's, like, he didn't want them dead. It was, yeah. a, it was a fuck-up for sure, but that was, like, a um a strategical fuck-up. It wasn't, yeah. like, malevolence. I, yeah. And, yeah, he's, like, cocky, um, you know, and everything, and he and he really likes how he looks and everything. But, like, I don't I don't feel like that's that condemnable, like... Tyler's a very interesting character. I think he is... He is- very nice. I very much like him. He's he's absolutely great, and I think he's so charming. Um, but and he is a bit of a dickhead. But that just makes him all the more charming because I don't watch or indeed listen to Torchwood to hear like morally perfect, you know, characters. I know they're all going to be a bit fucked up and they do questionable things. And for example, look at the questionable things Gwen has done in her time, or Owen, or. Just anyone basically you know yeah. everyone everyone on the torture team has some questionable things so i don't think tyler should be singled out for what he's done um even if he is a bit of a dick um however he did get the lovely and by lovely i mean it was traumatic episode um hostile environment which was very yes. much his his development episode and i think um He's had development, you know, over other episodes, but I feel like this was the episode that really, like, doubled down on a focus on this idea that, you know, he's not actually that bad. Um, because he had, like, he had, like, um, we've had Nightwatch and stuff that, that dug into his sort of insecurities and stuff, and he has a lot of insecurity about love and being wanted, and we've also had Orr turning into um, an ex-boyfriend of his, um, and 
there, you tell it, you can tell he has commitment issues and stuff. He, you know, so we've had that, but hostile environment really sort of, you know, dragged him through a hedge backwards. Um, um, and and it's not like um, so basically that episode was all about the homeless stuff, and oh god, it was it was dark, it was horrible, and it was dark. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it's something that you could imagine happening, you know. Um, yeah. And it was based off an actual idea, uh, an actual a city somewhere d- did implement this thing where you could tag homeless people with Those an app. Apps, yeah. yeah. Thankfully, nobody was was burned to death by a drone because of it. But you know, it does have negative consequences. And this was sort of like looking, taking that idea and looking at what it could be used for, and a sort of very bad way um so tyler going through that it it was it was it was upsetting to say the least but i do think it was like it was the idea that because he has this i he is quite he's very arrogant you know um arrogant and cocky to have this episode where he's sort of like dragged down and you know has this absolutely horrible time um it sort of teaches him in a sense that he he's not better than everyone, um, and almost you get this idea, especially because I'm talking about really his character after this episode. But he starts to become more good and more caring and more empathetic, and certainly I think him having gone through this horrible time and sort of seen how how people what people have to put up with, you know, um, he does bec- become. Um, uh, much nicer, um, but I don't. I don't think that stuff was sort of not there before. It was just that he he was too arrogant to show it. Um, but I really like the the um, scene at the end of that episode. I think that was one of probably one of my absolute favorite, most favorite scenes um, because it gave such a lovely insight into Jack as well. Um, it was all you know the, the when when Jack's letting. Uh, Tyler, well, Yvonne lets him, but Jack, it's Jack's idea, lets Tyler stay in the hub, um, and they're having the discussion, um, and the whole idea that, that, well, Jack says to him, you can let the mass down around me, you know, it's the idea that, that everything Tyler does, the sort of arrogance, he's putting up a front, and that's completely gels, gels with what we've seen before from him, and things like Nightwatch, and certainly, and um, or introductory episode and stuff. This idea that he does act like a dickhead because he's hiding some real vulnerabilities. Um, so, so this idea that Jack's like, you can be vulnerable around me. Like, don't you know? If you if you need to sort of let that side of yourself out and sort of have an outlet for it, like I'm here for you. Which was a really really lovely thing from Jack. I think Jack is such a sweet character just in general and I love that there's that sort of softness of him because obviously there wasn't a lot of him in series 6 um, and when there was he was sort of pulling the strings and doing plot related stuff to have this sort of character moment where you sort of see that softness of him was good and it sort of harkens back to stuff we haven't really seen much of from Jack recently. So so you're saying Jack is so soft for Tyler? Ah, oh, shut up. You're going to say they held hands. They've done a lot more than hold hands, Neil. Definitely have. Um, I think hostile environments stuck out a lot 
give me for several reasons. I think from the get-go, I mean, it's nice to have a story that is brazenly very political from the title here onwards. And I think immediately from the very first scene, it really um, it really grabbed me from pretty much the first second because it opens in Medias Rest with that scene of Tyler on the street trying to bring himself to, you know, beg for money and being so, you know, unable to do that because of you know, his inner pride and stuff. And immediately it was, that was kind of like a shit just got real moment for me like oh okay we're actually going into this thing of tyler being homeless and him being brought so low and you know we're really you know going to be going through the ringer here and from then on it goes into this really really well done structure where we just jump from scene to scene we skip loads there's lots of the scenes they feel very disconnected as tyler starts to lose track of time we get the sense of every day being the same and i really love how the form um kind of complements the the content in this case and in terms of the darkness of it i I just, it was one, it was, it's the only episode where I was continually going, oh my God, what the fuck? Like, this is just so messed up. And with that, I think rather than just um, exploitative edginess or kind of wanton sadism, I felt it was good because um, it made the story very angry. I think one of the other things that made the story kind of stick out to me so much was that current of anger in it. And the way in which um, through this sort of bleak story, it's expressing a really quite intense, um, condemnation of you know how we treat homeless people and how even you know someone as lovely as you know PC Andy can just obliviously kind of perpetuate something utterly horrible. Like I mean you know for, for my money, my probably my favourite scene in the episode was where Tyler kind of comes to Andy for help and we're happy that Andy's shown up because you know Andy usually means good things are going to happen. But he turns up and he just, you know, tags Tyler with the phone app, just like everyone else, you know, and that's so, that's so demoralizing. And it's just, it's just little bits of kind of, you know, suffering like that and bits of sort of really twisting the knife in the, in the listener that I felt really, um, kind of put that story a notch above. It made it a a very gripping experience. Neil, do you have anything nice to say about Tyler? No, no, no. What I, what I really liked with the homelessness stuff was how in the premiere, it's this is unemployment is kind of a joke. Like, oh, the Sorbets are gone, the mayor's yeah. gone, I'm out of a job. Oh, you know, millennials, you know, not employed, all that kind of stuff. And he was kind of put to the side for like the next couple of episodes. And I, mm-hmm. I didn't really take it seriously. But then when we get like he's out of a job, he's got no income, he's turned homeless and, you know, he ends up prostituting himself and all this. It's like a really mm-hmm. gritty, visceral um grounded look at homelessness and it's it's so much like i was complaining last series that there were a lot of stories that like oh uh, date rape and police brutality and stuff and then they just kind of said that and then they kind of went off and they did their own plotty busy worky things and they weren't really drilling into the visceral lived in experience of like these big issues but hostile environment did so much like it it was so dark and really it was so character focused just on tyler's experience of being um you know out of hope, out of a home and everything. I thought it was so well executed the whole way through. From the very first scene, it just feels so desperate and engaging. Uh, excellent characterization for him and a really strong political story. And all the, all the ways I don't think Series 5 was working, I think worked so well in Hostile Environment. I, I would put that yeah. among my favorite tortured episodes, you know, not just TV. I think that was phenomenal story <laughs> that 
And it's amazing because there's so little of TV Torchwood in it. It's all about like original characters pretty much except for Jack, you know, um, more towards the end. And yet it felt so tortured to me because it's like uh, more so than series five, which had, you know, that big plot. It was trying to cover series six, had a lot of episodes that were more playing with um, the format, like the man who destroyed Torchwood, which was having like that pastiche of the other Torchwood characters as thought up by the conspiratorial YouTuber. And then like a mother's son, like Sam was talking about, I loved how after that huge plot moment of the flood hitting Cardiff, you'd think the next episode would be all the Torchwood cast reacting in like a real follow on, but instead it veered into this new kind of like side character and her experience of the um, kind of desolation the flood had wrought and everything. I thought there were a lot of episodes more kind of playing kind of like the monthlies do with the format in interesting ways. And I thought that was a really good direction to take. Well, I mean, they also borrow quite a bit of the plot from the monthlies, which I think might be one of the issues people might have with series six is that if you don't have listened to at least some of the monthlies before, I am not sure you're going to understand all that much about the plot because all this stuff about the committee and Norton Foldgate. Norton, yeah. Yeah, is a. They kind of throw you in the deep end. I mean, it wasn't an issue for me because I have listened to that stuff, but I was like, okay, this, people who are just in for like, the continuation of Torchwood, the TV show, are supposed to get all that? Because I'm not sure they would. Like, it's. It's dense. And. Sometimes a bit confused. I appreciated them folding all that stuff in and making a bit of a sort of extended Torchwood continuity and using the stuff that's in the toy box, at least. I didn't really mind the committee elements. Honestly, I think any, anyone who knows what they're doing should be listening to the monthlies anyway because they've got such a high standard of quality. Yeah. I wonder how Norton plays to people that haven't heard Ghost Mission and that kind of thing because he really... Come, like, the reveal of him at the end of Nightwatch is really playing on... Oh, you're looking forward to, oh, you're horrified by the idea of Yanto showing up, and then it's another seismic Torchwood character instead, except it's one that we know from the audios. Yanto mentioned in that scene as well. Um, Yanto wasn't mentioned by name, but also, I, I just, I, I enjoy, uh, I greatly enjoy the fact that Yanto is never forgotten, and uh, even in Series 6, because, you know, and also the, the reference to Jack saying that, also one could argue, right? One could argue he wasn't actually talking about Yanto, but I think Anyone with her head on straight knows that he was talking about Yanto when it was like saying that because Tyler asked him, "Don't you have anyone to let your mask down around?" And Jack's like, "Oh, there was someone, but not anymore." Um, so that was lovely. Uh, just whole scene. Just go listen to it again because it's great. I think it'd be an interesting experience. Yeah, if you just watched the first four series, then just listened to Aliens Among Us, and just heard series six without hearing Forgotten Lives or the Tortured Archive or anything, it would definitely be um unwieldy in some ways i think yeah but i mean i think it does work on like a thematic level i think it's interesting to kind of you know set up torchwood against a committee as a committee which very much represents it's sort of like bureaucratic imperialistic power uh, which is something as uh, a torchwood archive got into a lot and sort of having them assert themselves against that because you know aliens among us was so much about deconstruction and it's 2017 uh, what is tortured good for anymore and i think god among us in the end kind of makes a case for why torchwood still matters and is still important why we might still need them today and i think that's a really good like end point and i think it's a very like the 
end point of the arc is very good and very interesting and kind of justifies all the stuff they wove in even though that does make sometimes kind of the way the plot unfolds a bit awkward and not as smooth as it could have been especially when it comes to like the individual plots and arcs of the characters which vary from being extremely good extremely solid to being uh not that but uh but yeah it's it's interesting that was something that um this is why you know i really believe in looking at these as Obviously, the episodes, like we were saying, they're even more discreet than normal, but it really is like a seasonal unit of storytelling because like in the first box set, I was annoyed with Yvonne and Jack because I felt like Jack had just kind of tucked in, tail between his legs and tortured and said, oh, please, Miss Yvonne, can I work for you again? <laughs> After Orr and the Stewies said to Jack that he should do that. And then we'd, we didn't really get an insight into Jack's mind in why was he like cool to be so subservient. Like I can believe him not wanting to be the leader anymore. I can believe yeah. him just kind of giving up a little bit or being tired of life or just thinking, well, I'm going to live forever so she can be in charge for 30 years or whatever <laughs> and then she'll drop dead and I'll get... Like, there was a ton of reasons <laughs> they could have. But we never... Like, I felt... I don't know if it was more than Series 5, but I felt like John Barrowman really was around less than usual in this box set. Like, he was in... Yeah. Like, a decent amount of stories, like maybe eight or nine stories, but often he would show up for, like, ten minutes and that would be it. And, like, I'm happy to, like, I kind of wish they could have done this with Eve Mars, with Gwen. I would rather her be around a little bit over a season yeah. than not at all. But it does kind of hurt because, like, even in season one where we didn't get Jack characterized that deeply most of the time, he was still there all the time. Yeah. He was still the mystery and we could see him. And I love Barrowman and it annoys me to um not hear as much of him. And even when we do get him, I want to see inside his, his mind more. Like, did you notice yeah. this season? I felt like he was doing his kind of cocky affectations a lot more like the, his laughs yeah. and his flirt yeah. flirtations and his jokes i felt like he was doing that all the time and i'm interested like you weren't um like this so much you know uh before i don't think in, in aliens among us he was a bit but i don't think to this extent so i'm like interested gwen's left why are you acting like this is it like miracle day and you're kind of regressing a little bit but we never really yeah get enough insight to see why he's acting this way i think that idea of jack trying to bury torchwood kind of um Matt Smith's Doctor 11 when he was trying to erase himself from all the databases in the universe. It kind of reminded me of that when he's saying how like Torchwood needs to be buried and then how Series 7 looks to be, well, they're all on the run from Cardiff now, so who knows what the setup will be next time. But it certainly feels like a reassertion of the kind of Torchwood premise in a way that might be more fruitful or more... Yeah, you know, that's actually fun because Matt Smith's Doctor's Matt Smith's Doctor did that in Series 6 and went incognito in Series 7, oh, which yeah. Torchwood is also doing. I hadn't realized that. That's a very good point. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. It's I think it's kind of the same idea, really. And yeah, kind of, you know, I said, like, because Series 6 of Doctor Who was kind of a lot of kind of flirting with um, American imagery, kind of American science fiction conventions and tropes, and kind of ending up rejecting that and saying the show wasn't about that, wasn't about like the Doctor as a sort of like warrior superhero, and the show kind of went in another direction after that. And I think that's kind of kind of what God Among Us is doing, kind of trying to reject this idea of Torchwood as like the, the government stooges, the, the men in black in service of nefarious powers. And it, it manages to do that, I think, pretty efficiently in the end. Mostly because it has, like, the characters really matter for that political point to work 
has very good arcs. I think Yvonne is very well served by the series in general. And yeah, that, that does click for me, at least. Can we talk about Yvonne? <laughs> I really want yeah. to talk about Yvonne. Okay. Yeah, we should. What, what did we think of the reveal that Yvonne, well, this Yvonne had been working for the committee? I, I liked it. I liked it. I thought it made it did make sense. I'm mean, certainly. I mean, Yvonne's role. I mean, even as early as um, series five and well, as early as series two. I mean, Yvonne has always been linked with sort of that you know dark side of Torchwood. And obviously, I won't go into the the stuff that's revealed about the committee in Torchwood Archive. But you know, Torchwood and the committee, they they are to some extent they are two sides of the same coin. And I think like it makes fundamental sense for Yvonne to be kind of at, at least. Uh, apparently, even though there are you know reveals later on that everyone is double crossing each other, I think it's it's um it, it's a logical step for the story to take to have Yvonne get entangled in all of that committee business. Yeah, no, I agree. It makes perfect sense for for a character and the way she kind of learns to like let go of that. There's uh, this great line in as uh, a finale of the second set when the flood actually hits Cardiff. And she goes, I did my duty, and she repeats, I did my duty, I did my duty, which is a very pointed inversion of her death in uh, series two of Doctor Who, where she had a famous last line, I did my duty for king and country. Which is, you know, a very interesting inversion in how she kind of like breaks away from like conventional power structures and kind of tries to fill more a role as like a servant of the people, even though she does it in a very own Yvonne uh, morally questionable way. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, you see that a lot in a, a Mother's Son, where she does some pretty uh, interesting things in the name of the, the greater good. But it's 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 interesting, and I think it, it does largely work. I, I feel like Series 6 really sort of um, it made me like Yvonne, which is... I mean, I, I spoke about this in Series 5 podcast, like it's really hard to talk about her without the sort of context of Series 6 when you've already listened to the Series 6. Um, I, I still don't know how to feel about her properly. I, I think she's an interesting character, Um she has a really sort of um, interesting approach to things, and 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 I feel like she's like an antagonist without actually being an antagonist. You know, um, she just sort of sort of comes in and shakes everything up. But she's, I think, in series six you get the sort of, they get the Andy and Javon romance, um, yeah. which was a choice. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't hate it. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but, um, and I think (laughs) clearly Leo doesn't approve of it. Um, I think it's a, it can't, it can't be cute. Um, it can't be interesting, but then the entire time I'm listening to it, I'm thinking, why? What, what is the... Odd choice. Yeah. yeah. What is it that draws these two characters together? I get, I get that, um, there is a sort of, um, interesting thing because Andy is so sort of um he, he's lovable and cute and he's sort of like Tom Price said about Andy I think everything for him happens in a slightly clumsy way like a man just bumbling out of control down a hill and the more people and friends he can pick up along the way the better which is a really lovely way to describe Andy um but 
you can see how different he is from Yvonne because Yvonne's very much a character about control and she has to be in control. She has to sort of have the power in any situation. She has to, you know, it's her worst nightmare to lose that sense of control. So I think it is like, when you look at them like that and look at the characters like that, I think it's quite an interesting sort of pairing because they are like these polar opposites in how they deal with things. But I still don't get what drew them together in the first place because you never see it in series five. There's allusions to it and then sort of... um, going out to dinner together or something or like you know having met up and everything but you don't actually see that development it's just like you're sort of you're meant to sort of figure it out in series five and then series six becomes more like obvious or very obvious with it um and you're meant to just go accept it you know but you never see that progression of like from them being strangers to them you know getting together like or at least having that sort of attraction to each other so it just feels sort of weird and out of place almost and yeah I'm not I'm not gonna complain too much if it continues but I'd almost rather it didn't like especially after the events of series six um what do you think of it Neil yeah, well, when it started in series, this uh, this is a me response, so I'm sorry for this being kind <laughs> of um. You'll you'll know what I mean. <laughs> when it started in series five, I thought because series five was really trying to, you know, this is an important, this is a political series, you know, we were talking big stuff here. I thought it was going to be like Andy represents the police, and like mm-hmm. like you see how he yeah. sheds his uniform in Children of Earth. He's all about protecting the citizenry, and the way he sees to do that best is be part of the police. And then Yvonne represents a much more you know like the monarchy and if it's if it's alien it's ours kind of this imperialist very um arrogant kind of leadership and i thought it was like we're gonna get some ooh james gossy point about how the police interface with that kind of thing and all this and then that didn't happen at all in series five and for like most of like series six and i thought oh okay well it's just a character thing i don't really understand why they're attracted to each other but you know that happens whatever but then toward the end of series six it pretty much did become in a yeah. way what I was thinking of like the series ends on Andy arresting Yvonne which I do think is kind of like a big statement and then there's the big fake out that um, Andy wasn't in league with the committee like <laughs> Yvonne was he was in league with Jack you know and he was a good guy all along and then he slaps the handcuffs on Yvonne or whatever so I feel like there's probably some like things being signified there but it's not really super clear to me but it's also yeah. not a, it's not like in series 5 there was a lot of stuff that I found contradictory and it was unclear in that things were like trying to be contradictory things at once in a way that didn't feel intentional and I don't feel that with Anne Vaughn you know I feel like <laughs> it's doing what it's doing and it, uh, if it doesn't make sense it doesn't not make sense if you know what I mean but it's just not the most appealing choice to me there are people I'd rather Andy date if you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. <laughs> this is where you have to push the agenda Norton. Well, speaking of Norton, what did we think of the committee's plans in general in the series? The details of kind of committee's actual plan are a bit convoluted and I'm not sure I find them that interesting. And I actually actively disliked the way the finale sort of reduces them for 
the ending sequence to like a giant monster going through a portal at the end. That was yeah. That was a bit, that was a bit shit. I mean, come the on. Committee's final form. What the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> the committee's the final boss. You just you defeat one form, it just turns into this gigantic, like three-headed, whatever the hell. It's very strange. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like you know, like fuck off, James Goss. Like like the committee isn't set her off. You know, like no, <laughs> you, you have you you have David Warner. You know, David Warner plays a committee. Yes, I know that technically, like he was like an old pensioner, like mind controlled by the committee or something, and that like, he drowned during the flood. But like, you have David Warner. Just, just get David Warner. You know, you can never have an else David Warner. I thought it was really in continuity with uh, Miracle Day, uh, the ending, how the three families, you know, which got retconned in a, the connections to the committee and all that, wanted to like reset the world by um you know like this seismic change and then you know some people would be around some people wouldn't and that's like the vague plan the committee's trying to enact in like series six through Cardiff. so i felt it was kind of connected there but it's all a bit like what the idea of what the committee signifies feels a lot more interesting to me than like the actual mechanics of the plans which get all a bit hand wave villain organization ish you know i think that symbolically it's interesting because there's a lot of like very pointed religious imagery throughout the series. I mean, it's called God Among Us, so I get... Yeah, yeah, obviously. But, you know, it's kind of this idea of, like, the committee, which uh, their full name, anyway, is, like, the Committee of Erebus, which is also very linked to, like, uh, hellish imagery and stuff. Yeah. And they kind of want to uh, cause, like, very pointedly, like, a biblical flood to create a new paradise, um which has, of course, a lot of implications regarding the use of religion, regarding queerness, because the series does a lot of exploration of, like, uh, queer characters, life, sexuality, and there's, you know, I guess it's, there's almost this implications that you had, like, a, a biblical flood against the gays, almost, because, like, the episode uh, Eye of the Storm, where, like, the flood actually happens, has a lot of very pointed discussions uh, between uh, Captain Jack, Mr. Colchester, Tyler, Northman Fallgate, about their homosexuality and the way that they were treated. Um, I think it's Mr. Colchester who talks a lot about the AIDS epidemic in the same episode as the biblical flood. But, yeah, the actual execution of the committee's plan isn't all that interesting and it's a bit of a shame although given how the series end i'm pretty sure they're going to be like in the series going forward as a main antagonist or something so you know well we'll probably get some better material next time i'm not too worried about that i do really like the idea of the committee i think the finale sort of muddies the whole committee thing a bit because um when when the whole thing is okay we're going to reset the world and then we're going to have this new you know, fascistic you know hierarchy survival of the fittest the right sort of people get chosen to persist and so on and so forth um that I mean, and obviously that links to Miracle Day as well, and that all makes sense. I get that. But then in the finale, what we get is this Stargate thing to Erebus, and the committee's just going to walk through and take over the world. It just makes them very generic alien. Basically, it makes the threat um, an invading force from outside rather than something that's going to turn our own worst instincts against us and and kind of institute kind of... 
have us create our own sort of horrible regime. It's like, it's just, it's a bit less interesting of a threat, I think. Like, it seems like the, the threat of the committee and the interest of them is that they're going to sort of turn the world systems you know, against it and basically end up just sort of having us destroy ourselves so that they can kind of make a profit. So so to turn it into this whole, okay, yeah, the big monster's going to come through the portal, I think it really, it, it makes them feel a lot smaller. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I agree about the Stargate parallels, I could not stop thinking about that. Something I was thinking about last night, actually, when when it comes to sort of God Among Us and Alien Among Us, as, Aliens Among Us as well, Cardiff doesn't really feel like Cardiff. <laughs> like, I don't know how yeah. it's going um, But it's, it's like, I think this is the sort of thing that, that started in Series 3. Series 3 did it well, but sort of, it, it started, Series 4 of Torchwood started to go off the rails a little bit. Um, and what I mean by that is series one and two, if you set aside things like like Abaddon and all of that bigger stuff, um, what I always thought was charming about Torchwood was this idea that, okay, it's all ridiculous, it's aliens and it's, you know, all this funny stuff happening and but the idea is like it's happening alongside real life and it's happening right under your nose and it's like the idea that this is a secret, or- well, secret organisation. <laughs> That's air quotes there. Um, but there's this idea that you're just living in this world and and all these secret alien stuff, th- like things could be happening around you and you wouldn't even know because, you know, torture's out there dealing with it. And, and it's that sort of like urban fantasy sort of thing where, um, and it's the same idea, like, I remember reading like a, a thing Neil Gaiman wrote about Doctor Who, the idea that when you watch the show, and this applies to Torchwood as well, it's like the idea that that anything's possible and, and it's this sort of fantasy idea that all these things are happening in the universe that you live in. So when Torchwood came along and I was watching it and it was like, it had that sort of fun aspect and I always think to myself, oh, I really want to go visit Cardiff, not because Cardiff is a city necessarily interests me, sorry to all the Cardiff people out there, <laughs> but because... I I feel like if I went and stood, you know, where the hub sort of is supposed to be in this tortured universe, I would feel like the hub was underneath my feet, you know? And it's that sort yeah. of sort of idea that torture is almost real. But then I feel like and it's not necessarily criticism because it's not like I dis- I disliked the stories. But when series four came along in the Miracle Day, and Miracle Day was a global thing, um, so that was that was like the moment it was kind of like, oh, Torchwood does not exist in our world anymore. You know, it's it's kind of t- taken its like own path in a sense. And Aliens Among Us and God Among Us has sort of done that as well. Um, in certain episodes, it, it still feels sort of real in a sense, but when it certainly comes to things like the tsunami happen and all that, it does feel very divorced from real life because it's something yeah. that obviously hasn't happened and wouldn't happen, hopefully. <laughs> Who knows? Um, which isn't a bad thing, but I, f- I feel like um, certainly because because Aliens Among Us and God Among Us uh, deals as a different version of Cardiff, it does feel sort of removed from reality, which isn't, again, a bad thing. It's just, it, it does, it's sort of missing something almost that series yeah. one and two had. Um, again, if you exclude the Abaddon shit and all that. Um, <laughs> But like yeah, but but I I don't mind too much because I feel like the characters have been so strong in series five and six that 
like even if it doesn't feel as real in a sense, it feels real through the characters because it's real to the characters, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, that's all. Yeah, I, I I totally get what you mean. We we lost that because even in Children of Earth, um, we get like those cityscape shots of London so much because so much of it's set in London, and then yeah, Miracle Day is hopping around America and China. Even when it's not nuking China, we're still in China. <laughs> but Aliens Among Us, um. It like it was all in Cardiff and it was about Cardiff, but I didn't really get that sense of Cardiff that I do with yeah. Among Us. And I think part of it is that little special podcast thing they released uh, before the first box set, the Cardiff Unknown October 2018 thing, which is, I think it's kind of like a pastiche of a BuzzFeed ho- podcast. Uh, yeah, or um, BuzzFeed Supernatural. Which is really good, by the way. <laughs> I really love it. Anyway, continue. Well, how that. So this was before you know, the third, second and first box sets and it deals with some of the fallout of series five, like in an in-universe two characters talking about the events of what happened and setting up events of series six. Like they talk about the urban legend that is Scrape Chain that we don't get dealt with until episode 10 of the series. They talk about like the past four mayors who, who are, um, that's from the Yvonne Monthly audio one rule from Boomtown in Doctor Who and then from Aliens Among Us, you know, all those four mares come from. So it's all tying together all this different world building in like a kind of kooky Torchwood way. I thought that was a really good way to start yeah. the season before the actual box sets because it really kind of cohered Cardiff into feeling like this actual, oh, it's not real Cardiff, but it's Torchwood Cardiff and it's got its own yeah. history and all the audios and the show and Doctor Who connect into it and it's this really layered place. It really felt like a great place setting before we actually started the series and I felt much more tied to the setting like you're saying yeah. and I love that because Cardiff is Torchwood Torchwood is Cardiff you know I like well I like bits of Miracle Day and I love Children of Earth but I liked like we said with the structure and with the setting it's nice to get back to that kind of series one and two Torchwood's in Cardiff Torchwood of Wacky Adventures that's what I want to hear yeah and it's uh, like I said it's the idea that this is a Cardiff sort of separated from reality but it, but then in the end it doesn't matter because you have things like the podcast that make it feel real even though it is taking place in this sort of alternate universe almost you know it, it still feels real because they take the time to make things like the podcast and and really to explore the sort of almost day-to-day life of being in Cardiff that is occupied by Torchwood and the Sorvix so yeah I thought that was really enjoyable (laughs) on the note of kind of um queer characters like we were talking about before what did we think of the i thought it felt very kind of russell t davies to me although i had no idea if he had input on this point but when we had the drama of colin and captain jack kissing before the revive mr colchester walked in and then there was like kind of a love triangle for a little bit what did we oh god my husband it was quite it was quite amusing when mr colchester appeared and was like what the fuck because he chose the best time to reappear ever in the middle of the cast so that was great it was a really fun way to reintroduce him and everything but um but i thought it was it was really like sad to sort of see colin like struggle to believe that mr colchester was back and everything but it was really, really good, and, and 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 I also thought it was fascinating because you have this new dynamic as well. Because Mr. Colchester was brought back by God, and he was brought by back by God specifically because Tyler at Mr. Colchester's funeral, uh, it basically said I would do anything to have him back. Like he's like I don't like I don't really like the guy, but I I wish he wasn't dead. And God was like okay, um, and brings him back. Um, so and then Tyler's whole thing is like he has to 
he gets it gets referred to multiple times throughout the series but this whole thing where like Tyler finds out that he was responsible for bringing Mr. Colchester back and Mr. Colchester eventually finds out and thinking day zero yeah and day zero um Mr. Colchester also finds out that Tyler brought him back. So now you have this interesting new dynamic that that Tyler is responsible for Mr. Colchester, Mr. Colchester like continuing to live. So because they have this sort of animosity between them, and Mr. Colchester doesn't really like Tyler, and Tyler doesn't really like Mr. Colchester, but now they have this sort of like like almost this debt between them. So I'm really excited to see what happens in series seven with those two. I want them. I so badly want them to be friends because uh, you know. And I'm not saying they could, they would they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't still be snarky at each other. I think they still would be. Like I mean, looking at how they act with each other, of course they would still be snarky. But I, I'd really want them to to sort of begrudgingly admit that they actually really care about each other. Each other, um, especially because you don't often get in um, media like an older gay man just being friends with a younger gay man. Like it, it's quite. Yeah. rare so I really really hope that you have that I mean, Tyler technically already has that with Colin anyway so um, so to have it with Mr. Colchester as well would be really lovely because I also like the dynamic between Colin and Tyler because it's like Tyler's like sort of reformed at this point and Colin is obviously he runs all the um, the Ritz Tower camps and stuff to deal with the fallout of the tsunami and help people and Tyler's helping him so I think it would just be sweet if like they eventually reached a point where they're all just sort of friends with each other um, but uh, Colin I really love that he had he was more foregrounded in this and he was sort of an active participant in, in what was going on and he's such a sweet character he's so wonderful and I feel so bad for him at the end like when Mr. Colchester also has to leave with the rest of Torchwood because they're being hunted down he doesn't have a chance to go and say goodbye to Colin or explain what's going on and Colin has no clue so I really hope you know <laughs> God only knows what's going to happen with uh, Colin in Series 7 but I really hope we see more of him I hope he gets put on the covers um, at least one cover at some point um, because it would be a tragedy not to have them there and I hope things turn out okay for them because they're very sweet and I love them very much the end Colin having that attraction to Jack I mean that, that surprised me at the start of the series and that was kind of and that was I found that quite interesting and a bit because um, they seem to have this whole thing certainly as far as series 5 it was concerned of uh, Colin and Colchester being you know such perfect cinnamon rolls and so you know so you know soulmates and nothing they, they'd never betray each other and nothing ever go wrong and like so to have this thing where you know Colchester's apparently died and Colin actually goes for Jack of all people that actually I was actually kind of interested to see where they might take that I was kind of wondering and it, I'd say you Nia, know, when you say it felt very Russell T Davies I think maybe it's a bit reminiscent of the whole cheating drama from series one of Torchwood and stuff like that and I was wondering yeah I was wondering if it was going to go more in that direction and we get some quite juicy drama especially with Colchester walking in on them you know again and that whole um, thing but it sort of it sort of disappears fairly quickly you know, I wouldn't say it it doesn't really sort of manifest in a big thing. It does sort of the status quo gets quite um, safely reasserted. I think. I mean, you have that whole episode where Jack has to pretend to be Colchester and kind of take um, Colin on a nice birthday uh, kind of celebration, and that's that's nice. But it's sort of it's also. I mean, it's just nice. It's. I wouldn't say it's kind of compelling and kind of gripping drama or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's fun. That's basically my takeaway. So it's, it, it makes for some good scenes and some good interactions. It's not especially deep, and it ends up kind of like reaffirming the same dynamics. But at the same time, I do really like the dynamic between Colchester and his husband. And given that they're like the one queer 
couples, it doesn't fit the model of, uh, you know, young looking and slutty. It's nice that they kept that. And good lord, this series has a lot of slutty stuff in it. Like, Against Among Us was pretty slutty, but this is a whole other level, especially the Team Folly episodes, um, like the body switching one and also Night Watch. That's quite an interesting parallel, I thought, between um, Night Watch and Another Man's Shoes, which is the two episodes you're just talking about. Um, in Night Watch, Tyler has that whole um, vision where he sees these kind of copies of himself having sex with the loads of guys and stuff like, like that all over the place. And then in Another Man's Shoes, he sees um, Norton take over his body and go around having sex with loads of dudes, like six in the space of you know, 10 minutes. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's it struck me that that was an interesting bit of um uh sort of uh, a bit interesting parallelism in terms of this thing of Tyler sort of being so disturbed by the sight of himself um make, being this kind of just going around having loads of sex and just sort of yeah, kind of putting himself out there so sort of um wantonly. It was, I think that was quite a nice touch, actually. I mean, so it's, it, it makes sense because the same guy wrote both episodes, but that's that, that's a quite clever bit of um. Uh, repeating an image there. Yeah, definitely. Actually, just in, just in general, Norton in Tyler's body was absolutely hilarious. Like, I loved Tyler's actor doing the Norton voice and just, and just all the antics that he got up to. Norton using Grinder, like that whole thing, that killed me. Like, I think in general, the whole sort of um, gay sex comedy aspect of um, Gosswood, as I started calling it, has been quite consistently enjoyable. Yeah, and I think Tyler gets really good material, actually. Um, because Aliens Among Us had me pretty torn as a character. I didn't think he was, like... I don't think he felt especially interesting, especially after the first episode and the whole, like, fake Gwen, fake out, but, you know, you think he's going to, like, be kind of the, the new point-of-view character, and it doesn't happen because everyone thinks he's an asshole. And then he gets a lot of focus throughout the series, but it's kind of weird, and you don't really know where they're going with it. Uh, God Among Us actually does some really good stuff with the character, I think, where you kind of, you know, go from Nightwatch and his, like, weird hallucinatory experiences to hostile environment, and from here, him kind of having, like, to realize that he needs to to help people and to stop being such a colorful douchebag all the time. And it leads to, like, some very nice scenes. Um, there's some character stuff in the last sets that I think really kind of doesn't work. But uh, the bits where he's helping uh, Raymond... Uh, Colin. No, sorry, I'm mixing it up. Was the actor Colin? Raymond Tecrim is the actor. Colin Colchester uh, with uh, the, the refugee camps. And in the very last episode, there's a great moment, I think, that kind of bookends, like, the, the whole two seasons. So the first season of uh, the first episode of Aliens Among Us uh, started with uh, Tyler and Jack meeting up on Grinder and fucking each other, and the last episode ends with them kind of like sharing like a platonic hug in the ruins of Cardiff, and I thought that was a really nice, really sweet little bookend to the kind of the character development that they went through during those two seasons. Yeah, in general, um, Tyler's scenes with Jack really nice and particularly um at the end of hostile environment the moment where um tyler is allowed to inhabit one of the cells in torchwood because he has nowhere else to live and um, that moment just in terms of 
I felt that was really satisfying because for it was sort of the end of Tyler being kept out of Torchwood. Like after this whole thing of him being initially rejected and constantly trying to tag along with them and being slightly shunned by them. After he goes on this whole horrible journey, he finally, you know, gets accepted by them and just taken in like an act of kindness. And there was that really lovely conversation he had with Jack at the end of um of that episode. It was like that was that was a really nice payoff. And um I think generally I think Jack's I think Jack's um, most memorable scenes in this in series six were with Tyler, I think. And yeah, just generally Tyler has that nice, a nice kind of an arc. He's certainly, he's this big kind of help. He has, he helps Yvonne have her whole change of heart, I think, um, when the tidal wave's about to come in. And in the third set, he's all kind of helping out with the refugee camps and stuff. I kind of, I did want a bit more of him in the third set. But to be fair, he had such a kind of, he's had such a massive journey in the second set that maybe they just thought, let's focus on some other characters for one. And Jack in this, so he's, um, um, he's working with the Red Doors and everything. Like, that's his sort of storyline. But now he's, like, moved on and, like, I, I guess Jack is, like, a puppet master, Right now, like, yeah. like he's he's working behind the scenes, pulling all the strings. Like he's he was secretly working with Andy and all this stuff. Um, it's and he he was manipulating uh, Bethan and uh, a mother's son, sort of like to bring about the downfall of Yvonne and everything. Because and he had that whole thing where he's like he wanted to bury Torchwood again and so essentially. Like, oh yeah, that's yeah. Right. Um, so he so I I think his motivation is where like he wanted to sort of lead to Torchwood's downfall so that everyone think oh yeah Torchwood is dead now but in reality they're still there they're still working I'm gonna wind back to the point I forgot to finish the, f the first box set I was annoyed with this Jackie Vaughn setup because I felt like yes. they hadn't explained why everyone's cool Yvonne being the leader Jack's cool not being the leader but then over like the second and third box sets we get Yvonne's leadership really thoroughly like examined mm -hmm. and criticized and then that was really working for me and then when she's revealed to be on the committee and then the committee flood Cardiff and then she goes oh man I fucked up and she has like a downfall and then she kind of I, I don't think she really atones completely like she recognizes she fucked up but like she's still yeah. quite arrogant in the finale like in her conversations with Jack and stuff so it's all still in character but I felt like oh this was intentional like the big finish weren't actually expecting me to love Yvonne and go, yes, you should be the boss. Jack should be the, the second. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's okay. Um, they, it was a longer game. And so I was happy mm -hmm. I listened to the series kind of in quick succession because it made a lot more sense treating it, you know, as a, as a season. Yeah. So that, that, that the Yvonne stuff um, did work for me. The Jack stuff, like it worked in principle, but I wish it was clarified more. Or who's only in two box sets, they, um, I love this character, I love the idea of this character, but even more than Jack, I'm like screaming, let me into this person's mind. I want to really know what they, like they always saying, oh, the people, the faith, you know, blah, blah, blah. They want this. People want water too much. I'm so angry. Like it's, <laughs> I don't really feel like I'm getting to know them and I really want to because it's always so interesting. And they have that great cool appearance on the covers now where they're like yeah. a silvery rendition of the um, actor. I don't get what they were going for with all, like, I understand, like, the ending, you know, where they sort of, like, get God's powers and how that works plot-wise, but I feel like it kind of gets away from what made them really interesting, because they kind of had, like, a very grounded experience in Aliens Among Us. Like, of course, they were, like, a metamorphic alien, but they were also very much coded as, uh, as a sex worker, 
as someone who had been kind of exploited in really bad ways by uh, the Soviets, by capitalist society. And that had, I think, kind of a really nice angle. And even though the character was kind of alien and unapproachable and had um, lift genitalia in one episode, uh, which is still a really good joke, but um, you kind of found a sort of like connection with them that way. Right? I feel like with the whole God connection and the way they play up all that thing of passing on God's powers, it, it gets into like very abstract, very mystical territories that make sense for the plot, for the way they want to resolve the plot, but kind of lose a bit the appeal of the character and what made them really interesting in the previous season. Um, it's, a, it's a shame they didn't get uh, Juno Dawson back for this season. Also, she's very, very busy woman and probably like teetering right on the edge of too big for big finish, which yeah, but still, so it's a bit of a shame. I, I, I think, yeah, all wasn't especially well served by this season, which yeah, I mean, you know, at least all other characters. The finale, um, all's whole purpose with God, it basically boils down to God giving her this whole, like, energy burst, and then all sending a, a spirit bomb at the committee, and um, it struck me that, see, for for a lot of the series, I thought it might be going somewhere differently, like, certainly in the last set, with with this whole thing of the increasing uh, connections between all's ability to sense people's desires, and obviously God's um, ability to, to fulfil people's desires, I thought we might be getting some sort of thing where all would actually become the new god somehow and i thought that i mean i was interested to see if that was going to happen because um, i thought that might, might be a quite interesting uh i don't know link there to have a, a character who who is basically who was originally created to be this sort of almost a, a, a sex toy this really twisted kind of kind of tragic creation to have them evolve into this like really kind of powerful entity that that seemed like it might have been quite an interesting arc I, i'm not sure what exactly it would have mean or been saying per se but um i think that there does seem it does seem like there's some um unused potential there certainly because it, it just it gets a bit like it gets a bit anime by the end it's like oh have take my energy oh yeah send the send the big blast of vague energy at the bad guys and kill them it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's very it's very dragon ball z isn't it yeah yeah i felt really and this is like a thing that was in series five as well but or um they are also they're a character in their own right but all the stories just seem to use them all the other characters seem to use them yvonne was using them and tagged for example yeah. um um and now they've been used by God essentially and God among us. Um and it's and it's kind of unfortunate because I, I really like Orb but so and it's part to do with their their abilities, you know. Um they sort of rely on not rely, but they mirror project the needs and wants of others. So it makes sense that the that they sort of exist to almost give commentary on what other characters are going through, but they are a character, you know, and and certainly their introductory episode, uh, at the very end, um, which by the way I, I quite like the God Among Us sort of tied back to this because do you remember when Or's collar, like bomb collar, fizzled out? Turns out that was yeah. actually God, you know, diffusing it, essentially reaching back in time and diffusing it so that they didn't die, um, but. But Orr's introduction to episode in series five was very much like it ended in a way where Jack was like, No, 
you have to be your own person you know you don't have you know because that, that was the idea like they were often to turn into Yanto and then that's Jack refused and everything and that was really good and it was really strong because Orr has been a slave all their life essentially so so if it had started an arc a character arc where the they acknowledge that they had this part of them, obviously, that, that is, in a sense, in a sense, does exist to almost serve the needs of others because that's what they were sort of designed to do. Um, but if they did, if there was like written more to like they were either rejecting that or trying to find themselves independent of that ability, that would have been really good. But then in God Among Us, it, it just continues this idea that Orr just keeps getting used and is sort of there to stand around and, you know, point at other people and go, this is what you want and this is how you feel right now, you know. Um, so I, w- I would love to see in Series 7 an exploration of Orr that actually looks at them as a character rather than them as a commentator, you know. Um, so I was quite almost disappointed. I, I thought some sort of ideas were interesting enough, like God passing on their powers to Orr, but, but I, don't, I just don't think it was very effectively uh, handled, really, and it's and it a shame to lose out on that sort of Orr characterization. I think Eng, how Eng was used in this series, I also uh, was kind of wishing for a bit more. I felt like there was kind of a character reboot of her because she's suddenly treated much more genially and like Yvonne's saying, oh, Jack, grow up. You should um be fine with Aang now, like get over all the Gwen business. But like she murdered a woman in Tagged and she like taking over Gwen's life was a real villainous act. And I feel like they've, cause um, Alexandra Riley's a great actress and I love uh, the episode she wrote, but the character I feel like needed a bit more in-universe justification for the team being much more chummy with her. Cause I always felt kind of on the outside of how she was being kind of framed in the series because I like the performance and I want to like the character more but I'm still thinking man what you did last season was really messed up Mm. so Eng is a very confusing character because in series 5 she's sort of set up as like um, you're meant to dislike her because she's also taking Gwen's body, she's doing all this bad. I mean, she kills people, you know, to, to, to hide her identity and all this stuff. Um, so, so Eng is like confusing because in series six, it's like that aspect of her has just been sort of forgotten. Like it, it does get brief references to it every now and then, um, but as things go on, it's just not really acknowledged anymore that this is. I mean. I guess they don't know that she killed people to hide her identity. I don't think they found out that the, she killed that girl. Um, but but it's never discussed that Eng, you know, stole Gwen's body and really was a bit of an antagonist almost for Series 5. Um, and you're just expected... She's just sort of there and you're just expected to like her. And um, and her sort of um, character is, is, is like she's a Gwen but she's not and like part I think in series 6 she has sort of she says something about how um she feels like all the stuff she remembers about being Gwen she feels like that was her and all this um I don't know how to feel about her because it's not it's not a dislike her it's just that like if she was a sort of character in her own right in series 6 then I'd be like yeah you know whatever like I, I, I do enjoy I mean I don't think she's had much of a chance to shine really um I don't think she has anything um hugely defined about her um because all the other the other characters I feel like 
And as I said it in the Series 5 podcast, it's like all the characters are like so well realised if you wrote down their dialogue, you'd be able to identify who's speaking just by their words if you didn't know who was who. Um, but Eng, I just feel like she's a bit... She's, for the most part, she's a bit generic in her dialogue. Um, and I would like to see sort of more of an exploration of her sort of as a character, just, just more understanding of her. And, and it's a shame, I think, that at the end of series five we didn't have a situation where like she'd forgotten what she did to Gwen. Yes. Um like if she'd if she'd had after she got split apart from Gwen, like it would have been perfect just to give Ing an amnesia about it. Because um because well you said this to me actually, Neil, you were like, um it's like this idea that if because of obviously Jack has a struggle to sort of trust and like Ing because of what was done to Gwen uh, Yvonne criticised him at one point and basically acts like he's being childish about this sort of distrust um, and that that doesn't really make sense because Jack has ev- every reason to distrust Eng. like there's we've been given no reason and certainly Jack's been given no reason to like or or to believe in Eng and you know believe that they aren't up to no good so so Yvonne making that criticism and, and, and the narrative sort of just suggest that she's right for making it like she no she's not she's really not right for making it however if they'd given Ing amnesia and Jack was still like sort of being prickly towards her like no you know I don't trust you and all that and you wanted went well you're being childish you know because Ing can't remember what they did how can you hold her accountable for something that you know that she has she has no recollection of and all that stuff then it would have made more sense but unfortunately no she still remembered everything she did and I just don't, I just don't know how I feel about her at this point. Basically, it's, it's kind of like the um, Jack transphobic line in series one, or the Owen yeah. date rape stuff. It's like they've kind of rebooted the character, and like this stuff doesn't really feed it into it anymore. But those were just like the thirty seconds, you know, scenes. Whereas yeah. this was like a whole series long arc for Ang. So it's like you really needed to do something in story to kind of go, oh, stop blaming her for all this shit. We like Ang <laughs> yeah. now. You know, the actress has written one of the stories this season and it was really good and we like her performance, so <laughs> we want to like this character. They, But they needed to throw us some kind of in-universe bone for us to yeah, stop. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're meant to feel uncomfortable with her like by the end of the season so much. She killed Gwen's mother. Hashtag justice for Gwen's mum. Basically, like... I think the writers seem to want us to forget that Eng murdered Gwen's mum. I think uh, maybe I don't know if maybe they regret putting that in because it seems so jarring with um, everything they try to do with Eng in series six and like this whole thing of like making her sympathetic and stuff like that. I feel like if you if you just forget the bits where she killed people in series five, it more or less works. So it's like okay, well maybe if we just render those bits non-canon, then fine. But it's it's always going to annoy me. I think that they're never going to actually address or sort of reckon with this thing of like they had her shoot Gwen's mum that's Gwen's mum like I mean okay you know murdering the random woman in tag like that was bad too but like when it comes to someone who's so close to a character that we actually like it's like do you really expect us to just get over that like it didn't even get mentioned like it it just it was really annoying me in every scene with Jack and Aang it's like are you not gonna address this and that was I know they could maybe have mined some good drama out of it even if I don't like the development itself so it was quite annoying but it seems like we're never going to get that now yeah yeah definitely and it's it's like i think they got a lot better compared to aliens among us at kind of like making each set have a plot of its own that works 
and still contributing to like a larger overall plot. But kind of the downside of that is that they have nasty tendency to kind of make a lot of the character development happen off screen. Because you get like all the uh, whole kind of spiritual journey largely off screen while they're in a bucket. Uh, Ang's acceptance into the team happens off screen. Uh, you pick up the first episode at, at Mr. Colchester's funeral. Same thing here, you don't get to see like kind of how people reacted to him dying at the end of Against Among Us. And there's a lot of things like that that just feel very kind of jarring and a bit weird. Uh, I think maybe like the worst offender is um, what to do with PCND in the last set. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, like, it's so jarring that when I listened to it, I had, like, an immediate reaction. Okay, so either this is really fucking terrible writing or this is a giant fake-out. It was a giant fake-out. But, like, it's, you know, like... The, the development is so sudden that you kind of like you have to think that you have to think okay this is either really bad or this is just like this is clearly just setting up a twist for later because you know otherwise it just it's otherwise it just doesn't work it's 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 a weird choice yeah basically um the whole thing of andy suddenly becoming like a full bone a full-blown fascist who's talking like you know he's from the three the three families or something and it's like oh the right sort of people will be selected to blah 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 the whole thing of andy just going full evil it happens so fast and it's like it's impossible to take seriously i think is the, the problem so yeah. when it eventually gets revealed as a fake out it's like oh well okay who cares it's like the, it just the, the stakes feel very low with that development and that reveal because it's so you know because you know when when they eventually reveal to you that they're not even gonna pay off this sort of rushed andy's a fascist thing it's like it, it's not really that much of a relief it's more just like oh well okay so you just wasted our time then didn't you like he was just he was just working with jack off screen oh it was all a double cross it's like it's just it's a bit irritating it's it reminds me a little bit of some of the stuff from series five with how everything was you know a, a scheme and everything was being manipulated behind the scenes and everything was fake and stuff and i think uh, the, the, all those those kind of elements in series six with like ooh, um i've been double crossed and actually i knew you were going to double cross me so you manipulated this and we did that and i just i got it's a bit wishy-washy again i got a bit tired of it it's weird because series five did the exact same thing with oh Andy's racist and he shot a refugee. Oh, no, he isn't. It was all something else. For like two series in a row to go back to this same well of, you know, having Andy do something. Oh, he didn't actually do that. It's just, It plays odd. And I feel hard to invest in character development when I like Ked kind of get the table drawn out from under me. Like, I feel it gets a little more difficult for me each time to really buy into things happening when I feel like I'm getting tricked by the stories again and again. It's like... The Yvonne stuff this series I felt deserved the benefit of the doubt because I felt it was really jarring the first box set when like Jack was totally cool with her leading Torchwood more or less but then the second and third box sets really developed her views and kind of condemning them and really like exploring the depths of her imperialistic kind of nature but like Andy's character I feel out of kind of remove with the um the Goswood seasons now because I feel like in series seven are we gonna get another trick where he's like acts really bad one episode but it really wasn't that all along like it's curious to keep doing that i think the thing is there is a clear 
point and there is a clear idea right implicit in having an arc where um andy is on the bad guy's side because i mean the, the appeal of that i think is semi-obvious because andy's a character who's really lovely we all love him you know he's on the good side we saw him have that moment of heroism in children of earth but you know we all, everyone loves andy and having a scene having like an, a story in torture where andy is like on the bad side for once or whatever not only is that kind of unpleasant for us but it also it also links in a quite interesting way to andy's nature because you know he is he at the end of the day he's on the he's on the police force he's on the side of the establishment he's on the side of government and institutions and stuff like that and you know he may have rebelled in children of earth but like you know he didn't quit the force or anything like that so it's like so you know there's there's a there are things you could do there like you you don't have to necessarily make andy a full-blown fascist to have him cooperating with forces that you know that we don't like or that are antagonistic so um and i wondered like is that where i wondered in the last set is this where they're going are we actually is the point of this arc so to speak what happens when you know our lovely pc andy is the bad guy but you know it wasn't it was just it was just an incredibly you know cynical fake out it's bloody lie of the land all over again <laughs> so it just it, it oh, really God, annoyed me is. yeah 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 it is I, I only just realized that actually but yeah the parallels are disturbing yeah. and it's just oh, God, it's quite right. it's oh, yeah it, it's it's really it's really frustrating because you know and andy's a great character like what what the hell are they doing with him like i wasn't quite sure about the whole andy being shipped with yvonne thing either to be honest i'm not sure if that, if that really went anywhere truth be told like, i mean okay it's a you know interesting choice and you know they have drama between them but i, I don't know like, i just i just andy just feels he's just he's i'm not sure what the point of him in these seasons has been ultimately but yeah andy and um andy and yvonne just i, I don't get it like if they're gonna continue it right because god only knows what's gonna happen in series seven because as we know torchwood is sort of on the run now yvonne's presumably in prison or something you know who knows yeah. what's going on there um so if they're gonna continue the andy and yvonne thing i i need to be convinced of it because right now i am not convinced and as of the end of series six i don't think it's very clear whether they're continuing that romance or not because obviously yvonne wants to but andy seems kind of um yes hi what hi do you think that so you are you suggesting that him arresting her is more kind of uh, no 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 not an actual combination of Yvonne I never thought of it that way no I did not mean it that way uh but no I'm not gonna get no I'm not gonna (laughs) that anyway um let's just say right it's not really clear how Andy feels about Yvonne basically by the end of series six because um because it's kind of unclear as well because obviously Andy was working for air quotes working for the committee um Mm. And you don't know how much how much truth was in how he acted then because he had to he had to really sell it. So there was that really really good um, sort of confrontation they had when Yvonne comes to director Andy Davidson and offers her help, I think. And then he 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 basically loses his shatter. Like he's like swearing at her and everything, which is like I was like whoa, yeah. whoa, okay, whoa, Andy, love it. Anyway. Um, and it, it was it was really as much as it's sort of in the in the wider context of director Andy Davidson being like evil Andy, it was was kind of unfortunate. But I I I really like the moments where Andy does sort of lose control in a sense. Yeah, so did I. Um, because uh, if you've listened to sort of uh, previous audios, which hopefully people have, things like Ghost Mission and all that. Um, mm. In Ghost Mission, for example, uh, he says that he doesn't swear. Like he says to Norton that he he just doesn't swear. He tends to use 
fudge instead of fucking all that. So, um, so I think for to what extent other writers sort of are aware of this because he has said bad words <laughs> and other audios. Um, but I think it does take quite a lot to sort of push Andy to that point. So to have him sort of lose control of himself and um, was was just so fast fascinating sort of character thing. Um, and also because Yvonne sort of does deserve to get shouted at to an extent because yeah. you know she's she was working with the committee she was she, bad bad people bad people and she was aware that they were bad and everything so she has she has essentially a secret sort of antagonist of series six um but the end it's like she has this sort of redemption almost because she chooses to sacrifice herself and obviously jack saves her but um but even then like you can't put aside the fact that for like what what is it like is it 10 10 years that she's at least 10 years she's been working working for this organization that is just categorically evil like there's no redeeming features about the committee at all so when they talk about like we want to reset the world and stuff i'm like how does even yvonne bite like this is so obviously evil villain like monologues it's it's not even like a monarchy we're going to protect you by being in control of you it's we're going to reset the world you know we're going to get rid of the undesirables and things like that's it's really bad yeah it's 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 so bizarre, and also because Yvonne, as a character who's like, like I said, she likes to be in control. She likes to have power. So she, her working for the committee, she's not in control. She has no power in that situation. She is their pawn, and it doesn't really make sense for me that Yvonne would would willingly join them unless, like, I hope series seven because also Yvonne is going to continue to be a character. Um, I didn't expect her to sort of be a sort of mainstay at this point. I don't mind. Um, but I do want in series seven to sort of if she's going to be for example in prison and presumably we'll have a chance to talk and I'd have a chance to talk to Andy I want her to explain her motivations why was she yeah. working with the committee you know what drove her to that point why was she happy to do it and everything I just want to understand this version of you on and what what pushed her to that point um, and, and it wasn't <laughs> It's like it's not. It wasn't even hard to convince her to betray them. Like all it took was Tyler going, "This isn't you, Yvonne." Well, actually, it has been her for ten years. So I don't know, Tyler. I don't know. Um, it was. It was the pizza he bought her. Yeah, it was. It was the pizza, and the pizza convinced her. But um, but yeah. So Yvonne's a very confusing character. Um, I don't really know what we're meant to think of her at this point. Uh, I I do like her in the sense that I, I like sort of her personality and everything. Um. But right now, it's just it's kind of unclear what her motivations are. I think the series condemned her politics without necessarily condemning her. And yeah. Part of that is um, <laughs> like Big Finish clearly really loved the actress, and so they want to keep her around. I don't know if she'll be a regular in series seven. I think it would make more sense to relax off her a little bit. Yeah. But certainly, didn't... um, we've justified Jack being the leader again. Like she had mm-hmm. a pretty epic downfall in that third box set. What did you think of Sinjin Colchester in the series? I still find his name so funny because I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he, I genuinely thought because I'd, I'd went on, when I went on to the Wikipedia page for him and I saw St. John Colchester and I was like, what? And I knew that, okay, here's, here's my thinking, right? I knew that series six is called God Among Us, right? So I was like, hmm, his name is St. John Colchester. St. John, hmm, God, this makes sense. So I was operating off the assumption, right? Stupid as it was, because I did not know that St. John is pronounced St. when it's a 
a first name. Yeah. I, I thought. <laughs> so also when he, he introduces himself to Yvonne as Sinjin, and Sinjin is used in series five, and then it gets used also in series six a, a bunch of times. So, um, I thought that he was using a fake name, and Mister. <laughs> Mr. Colchester was going to be like somehow connected to God in series six and his name was St. John because it would be like this it'd be this like plot twist that actually Mr. Colchester secretly been working for God this entire time and his name has not his name is not St. John it's St. John anyway uh, that's not that's true <laughs> this, I, I formed this whole narrative in my head just from seeing that one like his name actually written out but uh, no it's his name is actually St. John St. John um Anyway, I really love Mr. Colchester and I think he's great. I think he's a wonderful character. Very well realised. He's the Terminator in a cardigan. I'm pretty sure someone referred to him at some point. Um, yeah. And he's just so wonderful. I was surprised that they sort of... Um, like, I figured he did come back because he was on the covers of like uh, the third box set and everything. But I was... Uh, I was quite surprised at the first episode. I mean, it's, it's his funeral and everything. So I was like, because also he's the end of series five, like ends on the cliffhanger and one like the Mr. Colchester cliffhanger is essentially oh he stopped breathing, um, and I was like oh god okay, um, but then it starts it begins with his funeral and it, it's I think Future Pain is a really lovely episode. I really adore it. Um, I it's like a good sort of character study and it's just so sweet because you get to sort of well, hear the recording of Colin and Mr. Colchester's fun- uh, not funeral <laughs> the wedding <laughs> that's one uh, way of looking at <laughs> oh, um, so, so that was that was really lovely um, and you get and what I really loved about series 6 as well is the great insight into Colin as a character um, Colin is he's basically the main cast now you know I mean he's sort of you could argue people we sort of was already, but now he actually is. Like, um, uh, it reminds me of how Reese was treated in like the first two series of the TV yes. show. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, because Reese became sort of um, more of a foregrounded character as time went yeah. on, and now that's happening with with Colin as well. And I think Colin is such a lovely character, so I'm really happy to see 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 hear more of. Him. I keep saying that hear more of. Well, him. You've, you've, um, you've seen some photos of him, and you seem happy to see those. So well, yes. not necessarily untrue. Put him on the cover, Big Finish. He deserves to be on the cover. He um, does. But um, yes, yeah, so, so Mr. Colchester, like. He doesn't really have like his sort of arc throughout this uh, series is like he is dealing with the fact that he's been resurrected and he assumes that it was uh, Colin's belief in him that brought him back. Like that's that's explored in Scrape Jane because there's the whole idea that Scrape Jane, the monster, was created through uh, through strong belief and like God being present on Earth is causing. Um, belief to just be more powerful um, than it normally would be um, so it's manifesting this ghost so Mr. Colchester is essentially like you know what if I'm the same as Script Jane that Colin believes in me so much that I have been brought back and it's his faith in me but what if I, what if he ever loses his faith so that's that's Colin uh, not it's Mr. Colchester's sort of dilemma this series, this whole resurrection thing, and he has discussions with Jack about how how resurrection is. It's, it's it seems like it's a good thing, but it's it's really tough to sort of go through it. Um, Mr. Colchester has the sort of 
benefit that he hadn't exactly been dead for like super long but um uh, but it's still like a really tough thing to adjust to and certainly Collins went through the, all this grief with the whole development of Mr Colchester like kind of died off screen between the two seasons and then like three hours after we learned that plot point he's revived like in um the third episode of the season and then like in either storm there's like a scene where we're worried mr colchester's like gonna die again because of some flood business and again it's like are you expecting me to buy into these things when you keep undercutting them for me like i'm just not gonna um care as much every time you kind of erode the amount i'm investing into these it, the whole treatment to death i found really quite bizarre in this series like we have when Jack is turned mortal by the so-called god again for a while, and we like literally had an entire televised series, you know, making this a plot point about Jack that he's his mortal again. I just, I was, I was baffled that they would do that again and make so little, you know, with the story point. Like it's, it, the treatment of death I found very strange and kind of cheap at times in the series. Yeah, the whole thing of um, with that. Obviously, in Jack's case, like we find out at the end that, like you know, God just made him temporarily mortal again, just you know, a bit of, for a bit of a for a bit of a joke, you know, shits and giggles basically, and it doesn't actually it doesn't really have narrative consequences because you know he it, it gets reversed in the end, he wakes up, right? The one time we think Jack's been killed, no, just kidding, he's fine. And then when it comes to Colchester, um, I was wondering because we have that whole thing set up where Tyler's wish to God in the first episode ends up bringing back Mr. Colchester, and that's and you know that 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 had potential that seems kind of interesting and i was wondering is there going to be is there going to be a real cost is there going to be real narrative payoff to this whole thing because it almost it's almost too easy for colchester to just be brought back on the whim and obviously we find out from god that the um the cost for bringing back colchester was letting some stuff through the rift and like okay that's plot consequences i guess but when in torchwood like torchwood has such a thing of you know this 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 motif of people being brought back from the dead and and there being a terrible price for that like you know with the whole owen arc like when owen gets brought back it's kind of like you know we, we know that you know shit's gonna get real as a result of this like he's got this horrible existence to contend with and obviously you know you've got the whole thing with you know with susie and you've got you've got obviously you've got jack's immortality and you've got the whole you know in craziness with miracle day and stuff like that it's almost like it seems to me that kind of a thing in torchwood has been that you don't just get these nice happy scenarios you, you, you've got to be careful what you wish for because there's always like there's always a sting in the tail there's always a catch and with colchester it, it struck me that like that there wasn't if there's an arc to colchester's revival at all it's not ended like that hasn't been paid off in any real way we, he finds out at the end that it was tyler who you know brought him back and okay but it, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really affect the story and it doesn't really it just seem to affect them a great deal either it's you know i was kind of i was kind of wondering is there going to be some really kind of harsh payoff for this whole colchester revival thing and he's just he's just kind of he's he's just he's just trucking along like everything's back to status quo and, you know, that's a bit, yeah, it's a bit irritating. On, on that note of kind of um, resurrections and religion kind of things, I feel like on the televised torture, especially the first two series, one of the more um, unique things about it was its treatment of death as, you know, complete and utter oblivion and this kind of atheistic and nihilistic kind of vibes around death and all that. It kind of floated with, like, yeah, we got Abaddon and a CGI death in series two and all that, but it always would come back to these kind of idea of death is completely final and so the meaning of life is found through the mundanity and the relationships you foster and all that kind of thing and so to bring a god that's walking around in that cliche of like a very daffy very affable accented god that's walking around going oh wow look at these mundane you know things in human life and oh i'm gonna open a cafe and all that i felt like 
And then the ways like characters would call a god kind of in quotation marks and they would walk back and forth like this is an alien thing that dealt with the Sorbix really. Oh, but is it really god? It, it, I feel like it was all a very vague discourse around faith and that it had a lot of things like the series seemed quite impressed with itself going, oh, if you were an all loving god, that would be quite difficult because people want different things. And that's like this you know, I, I was raised Catholic. This is something children start questioning. This isn't something I like think James Gosh should be like doing over a 12 episode series. Like it's an interesting point. Like that's a very basic point of faith is, oh, people are different. Therefore, God couldn't satisfy everyone the same. And they just kind of raised that and they didn't really do over much with it. There was a lot of talking about faith and love and all that, like awe and God would say these words a lot, but I didn't real, really feel like there was much of a reckoning there. And so... The resurrection I can kind of buy because, you know, Tortured has done resurrections a lot, like you say, but I didn't ultimately feel like much was really said about faith, at least to me, in the series. God, um, God's role um, sort of popping up in almost every episode to sort of say something or kind of give some spiritual advice to the characters and stuff like that and predict things. It was, it felt strangely jarring with Torchwood for me because um, it seems, it seems a bit odd because usually in Torchwood, you don't really have these sort of mystical mentors offering, you know, knowledge and foreknowledge and advice and prophecies and things like that. And, you know, maybe, you know, Billis Manger does it a bit when he pops up in like series one, but like, it's not really a recurring feature. And I guess, uh... I guess it's also the the tarot the tarot card girl in series two. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That, that's that true, true. That sort of a thing. I think with, what happens with the god though is that she she turns up so often that it kind of it becomes a bit normal and it's sort of and honestly, what she what she reminded me of she reminded me of Doctor Who weirdly. Just the whole it, it was just it was very like okay, we've got someone who actually knows what's going on. And it sort of undercut, I think, maybe the the instability that we usually have with Torchwood, where nobody quite knows what's going on. And also with the whole God plot line, with her fighting the committee, and it turns out the committee were manipulating her and planned it all from the start, and Norton's in the time paradox. Honestly, I I'm, I know I've been overdoing it with the Doctor Who comparisons, but it just reminded me of the Curse of Fenric. It just reminded me of like a gigantic Curse of Fenric ripoff. <laughs> Wait, can I just quickly say one thing about God? Um, I was kind of... Uh, you obviously have situations where Jack and God are together and um, like talking in the prison cell and stuff and they have a lot of discussions. I was I was almost disappointed that we didn't get more sort of... Um, a sort of exploration of Jack's sort of beliefs and stuff and Jack's like attitude to... to not necessarily just God, but just... Because he has he has such a strange place in the universe, where he's like he's, he's a fixed point of the universe. He's sort of like, in a sense, like he is something that you could well imagine, you know, someone worshiping as a god because he has this immortal being and he's you know, and all that stuff. So um, I thought it was interesting that we never really got proper exploration of that. Uh, I wish we had, you know, and I don't think we will in series seven because God's kind of buggered off now to start a cafe um, so I, and I think this, this ties into the whole idea that, 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 that uh, Jack didn't feel super present in series 6 at times um, we didn't really get a huge amount of character stuff with him um, except for like, like uh, god I've almost got hiccups I think <laughs> uh, certainly like hostile environment and stuff and certainly a few things in thoughts and prayers and, and all that but we didn't get a lot of character stuff with Jack, I wish we'd gotten more of that I wish we'd gotten more of a sort of exploration of the sort of Theological is that our theological consequences of a, of of ostensibly someone who is God being on Earth and and amongst the Torchwood team and stuff and also it's like an alien God. Um, it's not God God, but then also you know 
I, I like that there's also also ambiguity because the way she acted and and just uh, the way she acted was like very much like you you could go well maybe maybe this is God God but it's not really it's like an alien creature who's had the power of God and feeds off faith and all that stuff anyway I thought it was really fascinating I wish it could have been used more to sort of sort of dig deep into sort of the uh, and she, she did she did exist to sort of do that but it would have been cool if there was even more of that specifically for Jack because I really love explorations of stuff like that and belief and uh, yeah that's it I can see that I did like a lot of the God stuff I think because I think it's an interesting rebuttal to a lot of what Torchwood did with its exploration of kind of faith and religion and aesthetic there uh, I, I kind of always had a bit of an issue with Torchwood's kind of representation of death, uh, which, like, I always saw, like, it was kind of interesting because also almost it's like, you know, edgy, new atheist vibe to it, you know, like, yeah, death is final, we all rot, there's nothing after, there's nothing after death checkmate religious people uh, which I'm not a huge fan of I don't think it's very representative of like Consulty Davis politics and take on stuff because he, he is someone who's very much able to kind of tackle that kind of subject uh, I'm thinking a lot about uh, what uh, Gridlock in series 3 of Doctor Who does for instance uh, which is a very nuanced uh, exploration of religious sorts and behaviours but I thought in Torchwood it kind of comes off a bit simplistic sometimes. I did enjoy that they kind of had God showing up and kind of interacting with the characters. Even though there's like a huge ambiguity as to like whether it's actually some kind of spiritual presence or just a very, very powerful alien. But I I did like that. And yeah, as I said, it's very in line to kind of the side of Torchwood that just goes full on to weird, mystical, kind of unexplained bullshit, uh, which I love. I love Billy Smanger. I love the, the, the Tarot Cout Girl. It's just, it's it makes no sense whatsoever, but I really like it. And I liked how this series kind of grappled with this kind of aesthetic. Um, as the epi- especially in Nightwatch, uh, which is one of my favorite stories from from this series, which just, just, like, drips with this whole aesthetic of, like, people kind of wandering the city under underneath a black sun and kind of having visions of the past with blue lights popping in to kind of form them. It's, it's very nice. It has very, very a powerful sense of mood and aesthetics, even though, like, the plot is actually kind of loose and, you know, the series has a lot of issues when it comes to doing, like, development of the arc of characters. But I think the God plot does a lot of these moments of like sheer weirdness and ambience, which are very in line for Torchwood and very good. And there's also um, a great episode which also does that towards the end, uh, which is the the Scrape Jane episode, which I thought was also really good. Like I was expected not to really care about Scrape Jane as an episode. 
it was really fun, more fun than I, was, than I was expecting. And also, they did actually tie it back to the overall series arc, which surprised me and was good. And it also gave more insight into the characters as well. So, um, so, so I think Tortured is really strong when it does those episodic sort of formats. And I, th- I thought it was interesting having Scrape Jane and the man who destroyed Tortured in the same season because they both deal with the internet. I mean, you you'll be upset with me for saying this because I know you liked it, but they could have dropped the Ansel YouTuber episode and replaced it with an Aang focus episode. Yeah, um, I suppose. Because as, as fun as that episode was, uh, the YouTuber one, it, it it didn't really further the characterizations of any anyone we know at all because it was like it was an extremely unreliable narrator commenting on the Torchwood team and not commenting in a, in a way that sort of gives us any insight because it was so wildly off base. Um, the only character we had a sort of insight into through that was probably Tyler but it didn't really tell us anything new it was more like Tyler's a bit of a dickhead you know Um, so that wasn't anything fascinating I think as funny as it was they could have dropped it and had something that actually contributed to sort of our understanding of the Torchwood team and especially Aang because we really needed that. The man who destroyed Torchwood is much more pastiche and it doesn't doesn't really hook into like the reality of um, I think Sam you've made this point on downtime how like it's not really people in their bedroom that are really manufacturing this kind of conspiracy content they're watching it certainly but it's much more grifter types that are creating it but yeah still- definitely like it's it's, it's 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 an industry i think like it's what i said on that time was that guy that was clearly i like, had done his homework and guy that's a very good uh, stylist like he has like a, a sense of i think of Pros and he's kind of good at like finding findings that aesthetic and finding the stones, but he's not very good at like understanding kind of the system behind it and why these people are doing that and how they're doing it and kind of the ideology behind it beyond like a very superficial uh, racist and sexist and uh, whatever. I thought Scrape Jane like and kind of tackling the internet was a lot more. A lot more interesting and a lot more relevant. It's interesting how in Scrape Den you had that whole thing of um, the creator trying to sort of trying to exercise control over their work, but the fans sort of turn on her. That whole thing at the end, I I quite enjoyed that element of um combining the sort of cyber fandom kind of ele- uh, kind of world with the sort of magical sort of idea space world. That that was that was quite a fun idea. I thought I like the fact they made it about copyright and ownership. Yeah, and it works really well with the whole god plot, you know. But you kind of have yeah. this allegorical level where, you know, like the creator is God and like the fandom is like the, the faithful kind of battle with the creator over like their wants and their desires. And it's it's a, it's a very good episode. It's a pretty good script. Fits really well into the, the themes they're going for. And, you know, it's a, it's a good horror script with um, Aang and Colchester getting to like be, be buddy cops for like an hour, which is very neat. They work really well together. Alexandria Riley and Paul Clayton have great chemistry. What did we think of the general treatment of the characters in comparison to like how other other series treat them? Gig, I know you you liked the kind of um. Well, we said series five was very similar to series one in a lot of ways, but you think series six has an element like series one in a way? Um, yeah, I, I know what you're um alluding to here. Um, in, 
classic Torchwood. Well, actually, well, hell, in pretty much uh, largely all of TV Torchwood, but um, certainly, you know, in by the first few episodes of series one of Torchwood, you know, the characters have been sort of put through somewhat of a ringer, and it maybe gets a bit ridiculous at some points. But like, you have the whole thing with Cyberwoman, where everyone's screaming and covered in blood and pointing guns at each other, and everyone's you know angry and you know, upset and horrified. And then you know, with Countryside, you have um, Ianto and Tosh getting you know trapped by these cannibals and it just devolves into this horrific kind of slasher movie kind of scenario and um and it's it struck me that um when i got to hostile environment in series six it struck what struck me like a bolt out of the blue about that story was that it felt like the first real time in all of sort of a goss word up to that point series five and six where by the end of the episode i actually felt like a main character had been put through uh, just like a just a, a, a absolute unbelievable like catharsis and you know punishment and like uh, you know, by the end of that story when he's walking out having burned that guy to death and he just collapses something to the ground i i felt holy shit finally some real torchwood because it felt incredibly raw in a way that i kind of feel like a lot of the the audio seasons haven't quite been i don't know why it is there's there seems to be a bit of a, a coziness to most of these episodes which maybe it's about maybe it's something to do with audio format maybe it's about how it tends to kind of be quite sort of quite talky quite sort of like uh, yeah, i don't know sort of table drama sort of thing but um it was it was very refreshing to get <laughs> just get an episode that just absolutely kind of really properly went for it with regards to putting our main character through the ringer i mean tyler had something a bit similar in series five with zero hour but that was so that was so out of remove and it was so kind of so much was happening off screen and it was so kind of a it was a bit it was a bit sanded down, I felt. Whereas Hostile Environment, it just felt like we're sort of plugging back into what you can actually do with Torchwood. Now it's off TV and you can sort of do whatever with it. It felt quite unfiltered. And I really like that. It sort of stuck out for me. Yeah, because, I mean, if you see the characters sort of at their worst, then you get a f- more a fuller picture of what they're like, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and certainly because Tyler does have the idea that that he puts up a front he he wears this mask you know concrete and cheekbones and all that stuff um he was very much a character that you needed to see um brought low in a sense to get a full understanding of him um um but but coming back to <laughs> we're sort of going through the list of characters here but coming back to the sort of yanto thing wow there's a real utopia moment in this series wasn't there <laughs> um so the end of night watch obviously yvonne uses the faradine project- projector and intends to bring yanto back um and before we get into the consequences of that i just want to say that i feel like i i read a post from um scott hancock um about Big Finish and their it was on his Tumblr um, about their attitude to bringing Yanto back and a lot of flan, flans flans <laughs> anyway, a lot of fans are clamouring for it, they're like you know, bringing Yanto back from the dead um, Scott had this lovely post about how um, it would cheapen his death in Children of Earth and I agree completely, it would cheapen it because you know, it, it, as it was so significant as well for Jack's character development. I don't know how I would feel like if you brought Yanto back permanently. Like, like, I mean, that would have a lot of consequences for Jack. But it was also like it would really disrupt his sort of character arc at this point and sort of how he's developed. Anyway, um, 
so you've on intends to bring Yanto back using the Faraday Protector, but it's not really bring him back. It's more like a hologram of him from a specific point in time, just like Norton, because Norton, this is the exact technology Norton uses in things like Ghost Mission and ostensibly uses in Flight 405, um, which is also later. But, um, but this is technology employed by Norton and he sort of brings a version of them from a random point in time, like whatever point in time of your choosing, and just makes hologram of them. So they're not actually there, you can't touch them, your hand just goes right through them, they can't really interact with the world, they just, they can speak to you and everything, but, but it's just a version of them from the past. Um, I wouldn't have minded if Yanto came back um, through this method because it wouldn't actually be bringing him back. It would be more like temporarily like having him there and I think it would have been a really interesting character sort of exploration thing. If, for example, you'd brought back, brought, you know, it'd be like a bit like a Torchwood 1 crossover if you'd brought like Torchwood 1 Yanto into the present day and everything. Um, I feel like that could have worked and I feel like the Faradown Projector has a lot of potential potential for doing that in general like why not just have an episode where you bring back a character who was previously dead or gone or something like because it doesn't necessarily cheapen their death because you're not getting the version of them that died you're getting a version of them from a very specific point in time you know and if you wipe their memories after or something happens then then it could really work however they don't get they don't get Yanto <laughs> they get Norton instead I uh, know I, I love I love Norton I love Norton I love Norton and the committee and all that and I love that they took this material from the other ranges the monthly orders and they brought it into the seasonal ranges I thought that was a really good move unified things gave the season more focus Norton's a great character I wish he was in more than just four stories in the well four and stories and a little bit of an ending but yes. I, his, his whole stuff with the plane worked for me. I liked how it wrapped around with that. I loved his interactions with Andy and everyone else. It just I was surprised how well he melded into everything. Like, it felt so yeah. natural. Really loved it. And when the body swap episode was my favourite thing he did, <laughs> when he was, like, so addicted to the modern lifestyle and apps yeah. and, you know, so easily accessible, casual sex and everything. It was just fantastic. It was like, a, you know, a role reversal of... um. Well, I guess Ghost Mission already. Well, yeah. yeah, it was just a great way to put Norton in the present day in, you know, a different man's body. It was all, it was all fantastic. Yeah, I adore Norton. Like, he's easily probably, like, I don't like to rank characters. I don't like to rank anything. Um, I, I can't. I just, I feel like everything has its own sort of own merits and it's hard to compare. Um, but Norton would certainly be very, very, very near the top of my list of favourite tortured characters. Um which is surprising because he's not actually been in that much content like overall but but when he is there he's he sort of like uh dominates the room in a sense because he's he's samuel barnett is just so good at the characters you know breathes so much life into him and he's so funny and i really love characters who are like him who have the sort of like you can't you never know who they're working with and like whether you can trust them or not um and I feel like Norton is is a is a great example of that because you you genuinely cannot figure out his motivations at any point. You can always be assured that he's sort of working for himself, but who's he working with alongside himself? Like you you can't really figure that one out. Um, and his inclusion in series six was requested by Russell T Davies actually, which yes. surprised me and pleased me because that I mean Russell's obviously listened to all the other stuff with Norton yeah. and, and loves him as much as I do. So um, thanks Russell. Um, but it was, it was such a good way to introduce him, like that sort of bait and switch with the with the Anto thing. Um, it was like 
<laughs> you thought you were getting one suit wearing Torchwood member, but you're actually getting another. Um, and I can imagine maybe it probably upset Yanto fans at some point. Like, they were like getting hype because they were like, oh my god, Yanto's coming back. And I was just Norton fucking foggy. I thought that was, it was, it was sort of a wonderful, like, you know, tease almost. But, but I really loved it. It was, it was Norton. So I was like, I couldn't be upset that it wasn't Yanto because I was getting a character that I absolutely adore. Um, and then Flight 405 was, was, was an interesting episode in itself because I love that as a sort of excuse to have Andy along with them, it was just like Norton had, had, asked Yvonne like can we bring Andy along like that was the premise of it and they just go and pick him up and you know they, they go to the flight together um that was cute and fun it, it worked so well for the sort of body swap episode and swapping with Tyler and everything uh, because because as sort of hilarious as it was it was also a, a sort of good insight into sort of Norton as a character um then again he's, he's so he's so confusing because he's like oh you still don't know what is what is Dealers, you know, you, you don't really understand him, and I think that's why he is so fascinating. And then also, it turns out that um, the whole Eye of the Storm stuff happened, and uh, he betrays Jack, but because he assumes that Jack was the one that betrayed him and all this stuff, and um, and then there's lots of betrayal in this episode because then he betrays the committee, which I thought was a was a really um, because he has that conversation with God and Flight Four Hundred Five, um, where God put strange emphasis on the idea of like him knowing who his friends are but they, but they are friends like Andy does like Norton he just doesn't know if he can trust him um yeah you want they to might speak. be more than friends they, I wish they were um god guys Goss if you're listening just just put Andy and Norton together like I don't care Anton. drop yeah Anton drop the you one thing like I won't blame you for it just Andy and Norton have such good chemistry like I'm expecting big things in Torchwood Soho big things um anyway that's me push my agenda <laughs> <laughs> um but Norton's whole thing is like the whole idea of friends and how he doesn't really trust anyone else um but he does he does seem to really really genuinely like Andy I mean that's why he always like Andy is the first person he goes to whenever he wants to go on an adventure um to the point of even bringing him back in time and all that stuff so um which I think is, is quite fascinating um, in itself. Anyway, make them kiss. Anyway, <clears throat> I am sorry. Uh, <laughs> don't know what came over me there. Uh, and then it all comes back full circle, this whole idea of uh, Norton who, knowing who his friends are at the end of Eye of Storm because he, he realises that, that it's, in a sense, it's like Torchwoods that he he should be more uh, uh, helping uh, than the committee because the committee have lied to him and all this stuff and manipulated him and he essentially uh, tries to... He does save the world good job Norton but he does his actions by the will of the committee uh, he doesn't realise it of course um, cause the tsunami and everything uh, which is unfortunate but I like the idea that he does betray the committee in the end because the committee is obviously a horrible thing um, you shouldn't want to work for them and it, it does clarify that Norton is not a villain he's not a bad guy at heart he, is, he looks out for himself and everything but he's 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 not evil, you know. However, that it does complicate things. I think his timeline is the most confusing thing in the world, and I hope it gets clarified at some point. And maybe it never will. <laughs> that in itself is quite amusing to me. But the whole thing, like, how does Flight Four or Five fit into this? Like, he he was stuck on it for sixty years, right? So presumably he got on it in the nineteen fifties because it's a nineteen fifties plane. He's stuck for sixty years. He gets free of it. But the end of Eye of the Storm, he ends back. He ends up back on the. F- flight 405 again so is he, is he stuck there 
because the plane was destroyed. It was broken at the time loop and destroyed. So is back. Is he on the same flight 405 that he was stuck on before, as in before it was destroyed? Did he go back in time and get stuck there? Is he the skeleton that, that Norton saw when he was speaking to God? Like, does that does this current version of Norton die on the plane? And that's like his ultimate end. His speech at the end, sort of after credit scene, doesn't seem to imply that. He's like, every end is a new beginning and all that shit. Um, and then obviously you've also got archives to fit in here, which is thousands of years into the future, you know, but that's that's a version of Norton that still works for the committee, but he betrayed the committee. So it's, it's not like he was like stuck in this time loop for thousands of years and then he escaped or something. So God only knows what is going on with Norton and where his loyalties actually, actually do lie. Well, if we're still going down the list of characters, are there any performances we haven't mentioned yet? Jackson King as God is absolutely wonderful. I love what she does with the part. She is so good. And I also just love that we can say that God is Donna's mum. Good Lord, that's a really... I couldn't believe it was her. I didn't even realise because she was doing the accent. I thought it was someone else. Like, when I looked at the cast list, wait, it's the same Jacqueline King? I was like, what? So, yeah, I mean, good job for being so unrecognisable in the part. Yeah, and that's also, like, a really good argument for atheism. God is Donna's mum. Oh, my God. <laughs> Also, we haven't mentioned it at all, but mentioned it at all. But I thought um, the see no evil John Dorney's episode really good monster concept in that one, an excellent like sound design, like just like you know just uh, I mean Dorney Dorney tends to be quite good with coming up with like good audio premises, and that was just one of them, like just a flat out good monster in that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, a mother's son. I could gush about a mother's son for a very long time. I think it's absolutely, I think it's really amazing. I think it's one of the absolute best torture videos I thought it was really cool how like the big flood thing is such a huge event that you could totally see oh the next box set could just be all about Torchwood reacting to the flood and dealing with the flood and it's gonna be like four connected stories and all that but the first story after the flood the first story in the third box set is like this really character focused on a new character um and like James Goss said it's kind of like a riff on a drift from series two about a mother mm -hmm. searching for you know her um well her son's dead in this but it's such a, it's it's like it's like a monthly audio. It's just focusing on this character, and it's kind of the texture and setting is Torchwood in the background, and like the mother character is investigating Torchwood. But it's just a really good way to, we have these huge events happening that like change the setting and everything, but we can still do kind of episodic, not standalone but self-contained stories. You know, following from that, I thought that was really smart structure, done really yeah. well. I really liked how they dealt with the flooded like that. It's very human focused. Really. It's like it would be so easy to sort of get caught up in the plot of things and just almost forget the emotion because there is so much going on that's like big stuff happening. But the fact that they took the time to just sort of explore the sort of human emotion side of things, like what is the the sort of psychological fallout of something like this? Not just on a sort of wider like how the city deals with it, but how are the individual people dealing with it? And I said, I do think it is like it is sort of an episode that's very tied to Adrift and even though her son is dead in it like there is the point that she's refusing to give up until eventually she sort of accepts it um, but and, and I like the way that it, it ultimately tied back to um, to the sort of Torchwood stuff because obviously it was like an outsider's perspective on Torchwood and it yeah. coincides with um, with the the sort of um, consequences for Torchwood of the tsunami, which was really fascinating. I just love the way it kind of shifts to like a very 
done to us, like working class perspective on Torchwood and kind of on what their legacy has been in Cardiff. And just like Mina Anwar, uh, who played um, uh, Jita Chandra in Surgeon Adventures, and his uh, main guest character in this, is just, she's terrific. Oh, it's her. And also, it's uh, for. Yeah, it's her. Uh, she was also in, uh, in uh, Smile in Series 10 of Doctor Who. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's her. Right. I playing a very, very different part. But also, I think it might be like her best acting in the universe. She, she's really good in this. And also, it's as uh, a first uh, Doctor Who full cast audio written by a black woman, which is awesome. Nice. Something with See No Evil I found interesting was how we have the episode where um, everyone's blind and then the episode right after where everyone sleeps. It was an interesting to, um, to kind of play them right after each other in that sense. I, I liked Nightwatch a lot more because I thought the character material was really, really strong in that. But I thought that was an interesting little, yeah. They seem to have, it's a bit like they have a sort of um, episode premise generator. Like, what if everyone with Cardiff went blind? What if everyone in Cardiff fell asleep? What if everyone in Cardiff was a refugee from a flood? <laughs> it's like, they kind of want to bring back that whole, um, you, know, you know, in the Miracle Day podcast, we talked about how RTD had reconceived Torchwood about being, about asking these big sci-fi questions about the world. What happens when you know, this happens? It seems like they want to do miniature versions of that quite a lot, rather than, say, just like street level, some alien popped up in Cardiff. Now it's like, what if there was a tsunami that hit Cardiff? And certainly in the um, in the last set, in the last box set, it struck me that that whole thing with um, the refugee camps and stuff and water scarcity, it was a bit, it was slightly like a retread of Miracle Day almost. This whole thing of like, you know, there aren't enough resources and things are getting more dystopian and fascistic and stuff. It, it, it seems like maybe, like, I don't, I wonder, I worry maybe if the audios are starting to retread territory that we've already had, especially with um, the final cliffhanger with Torchwood being on the run from establishment again. Like that was the status quo in Miracle Day, so it's like I I hope I hope they can actually find ways to keep stuff like feeling fresh in future. Yeah, I I I kind of feeling pretty good about series seven. I might eat my words eventually, like that, very possible. But I don't know. I feel like they kind of like have has a moment where they have said all they wanted to say about, like, why Torchwood needs to exist and kind of have gotten through all that plot and have set up all their recurring characters who kind of have, like, solid, like, bases and arcs now onto which you can build stuff. So I think Series 7 is probably going to be pretty interesting. Uh, so, so, yeah, I'm pretty happy, JD. Just to go back to something you said about uh, the similarities with Miracle Day, I think, like, the issue with this series is that it can feel a bit generic in how it addresses those questions uh, with the flood, with the water scarcity. Like this, what made Children of Earth and Miracle Day work really well was kind of how, like, specific they were and how detailed they were. Where, you know, with Children of Earth, you had, like, all the government negotiations about how you would, like, give 10% of your children and how you would do that by, like, looking at the schools and looking at, like, the, the school results of the children. And in Miracle Day, you have, like, the whole systems of categories of life and how governments are coping with that and how they need to, like, deal with burning the bodies and stuff. And it's very, very, it's very disturbing. But, like, the shock and the horror and the politics come from it being very detailed and very specific, whereas a lot of the political stuff in... Um, series uh, six of Torchwood can feel kind of a 
bit generic, especially in the water scarcity episode, uh, which is called Day Zero, uh, I think, which yeah. is also a reference to uh, Day One from the first season of Torchwood, so definitely worked or something there. Uh, is that it's, you know, it's very much, oh, you know, uh, there's no water, so, you know, it turns into a man-eats-man world, and there are riots in the street because people are evil and dumb and stuff, and it's, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit festive, I think. A bit easy. It could, could have done a lot, a lot more, and it's yeah, same with Andy turns fascist, Certainly, Day Zero in general, it's like it's like what you say, like Miracle Day and Children of Earth, they have a lot of room to actually get detailed and specific and explore these things. Whereas with um in the last four episodes of series six, you've got you haven't got as much space. You get a quite truncated version. So it feels yeah, kind exactly. of mini. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a bit like it's a bit scaled down, so it doesn't it can't get quite as good, I think. Yeah, definitely. But you know, it's it's, it's not bad. It does interesting things. I don't think it's quite as good as well as it did on television. But you know, with mind be getting there, and the characters are still very good and very interesting. So I'm looking forward to, to what happens next. God only knows what they could do with series seven because they could do another, another sort of children of earth thing where they are like constantly on the run and it's all tens and stuff, or they could just go well, you know, we're on the run, but in reality we've just moved one town over and we're just going to go back to doing yeah. what we were always doing, and we're, and it's just episodic alien stuff again, which I would be happy with. I'd like it to be like a road trip episodic yes, alien stuff, like that would they're be moving cute. town to town, city to. I mean, it's audio, so like you can go to. London and Paris or whatever and you just need to hire some Brits that can do the accents decently like I think it'd be really fun to kind of do the episodic adventures but move around a lot but who knows they might just be back in Cardiff and working soon <laughs> I hope yeah. not but who knows what they're gonna do yeah I mean they did drive off so I mean at least they won't be in, hopefully they won't be in Cardiff for the first episode like yep yeah, we just we just drove around in a circle and then came right back the, pr- the uh, premiere could be just like a tense car ride conversation <gasps> there's a monthly audio um called we always get out alive which is just gwen and reese on a car drive the whole audio yeah. it's this fantastic really character focused story so torture's done this before it could be a pretty cool thing to do i would love it like can you imagine just having all of torture minus you on sitting squished in a car together because yeah. there wasn't room for you on they're all squished in a car together and they're just arguing <laughs> like i mean it's so good um i really hope they do something like that now yeah.